invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel's written in the eighth chapter of John, beginning at the 31st verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This past week was an important one on the calendar. Thursday was Reformation Day. It was the 502nd anniversary of Luther's posting of the 95 Theses, the pivotal event which sparked the Reformation. The following day, November 1st, was All Saints Day. All Saints Day is set aside to remember all those who have died in Christian faith. On All Saints Day, we remember the great names like Peter and Paul and John, but also the believers who've walked alongside us, whose lives and deaths were mostly ordinary, yet they journeyed through this earthly realm as confessing Christians. With All Saints Day, we are reminded of the hope that is within us, that by faith in Christ, we will know eternal joy. There may be tears, because indeed we do mourn those who've gone before us, yet we also have joy, because we know we will see them again, for they dwell in the presence of God in all his glory. Today we're going to talk about history, and about how those two days, Reformation Day and All Saints Day, have shaped our faith. But before we travel back 502 years, let's look at something that happened just a few months ago. You may recall that after the devastating fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris last April, there were concerns about the survival of artworks and relics. To a great extent, these had been rescued before the flames took command. The greatest of the relics housed there was one reputed to be Christ's crown of thorns. Now, a relic is a holy person's belongings or body part, kept as an object of reverence. As Lutherans, this whole thing with relics seems very foreign to us. That's because the practice of venerating saints and their relics went away as a result of the Reformation. More on that in a minute. I remember the first time I encountered a relic. I was backpacking through Europe after college with my new husband, just 21 years old and raised Lutheran, I was not very familiar with this business of relics. I remember we were in the fabulous church of San Marco in Venice, 
And in a side treasury room, there were many relics. The one that sticks in my mind was the thumb of Saint Somebody. (laughs) Relics are important to the history of the Reformation, and I'll have more to say about that, but first two more terms are very important to this history. Indulgence and purgatory. The Roman Catholic Church gives indulgences for good works performed by a faithful believer. They teach that even after the sin is forgiven, a debt is still due. Every sin carries a punishment even after the sin's forgiven. And the way to work off that punishment is by doing good works. And indulgence is granted by the Catholic Church in recognition of good works. And this covers part or all of the punishments that would be owed. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that purgatory is a place of punishment inhabited by the souls of sinners before going to heaven. These are the believers who didn't get all that punishment worked off before dying. So they go to purgatory and finish up the process of purification, resolving the punishment that remains due. Purgatory is for believers on their way to heaven. Heaven will be their final destination. This teaching of the Roman Catholic Church will be very important to Christian history and the story of the Reformation. So let's take this back now to the time of Luther. One way a humble Christian could get ahead and earn an indulgence was to travel to a place exhibiting relics. Once that person viewed them, he or she was awarded an indulgence for prayerfully visiting the relic. The veneration of relics and the receiving of indulgences happened throughout Europe, including the German-speaking lands. Martin Luther was well acquainted with this practice. This whole system of indulgences and purgatory are what prompts Martin Luther to write his 95 Theses. So let me introduce you now to Frederick, ruler of the central German territory of Saxony. He carried a lot of weight in the time of Luther. Frederick has been given a nickname by history, the wise. He gets this wise nod because of his conduct in the early years of the Reformation and his protection of Luther in the stickiest of situations. In fact, if one individual could claim credit for keeping Luther from being burnt to a crisp on a Roman Catholic stake, this is the guy. After penning the 95 Theses against indulgences in 1517, Luther continues to pen criticism of Roman Catholic teaching and becomes a hunted man. Luther's excommunicated in 1521 and named an outlaw under sentence of death. But no one gets their hands on Luther because Frederick the Wise keeps him safe in Saxony. Of course, Frederick wasn't always the gray-bearded old man you see pictured here. He actually succeeded to power when he was just 23. While still young, his fierce ambition led him to make decisions that will impact later Reformation history. 
The town of Wittenberg, Americans often say Wittenberg, will take center stage in the Reformation, but that's because of Frederick's actions while Luther's still a little child. Wittenberg was transformed into a handsome capital for Frederick's territory of Saxony. First, a showy new palace castle was undertaken. A spectacular church was built next to the castle, a church that comes to be known as the Castle Church. The German for castle church is Schlosskirche. You're probably already aware in 1517, the massive wooden doors of that castle church will display Luther's 95 theses, his fire-breathing attack on indulgences. Remember that castle church. It's going to be important, and for more reasons than you already know. Frederick also knew that his capital needed a university. So in 1502, he founds the University of Wittenberg. And a few years later, a rising young star is brought to Wittenberg to head up the theology faculty there. And just who do you think that's going to be? Martin Luther. Yet all these expenditures for a new castle, a new church, a university, all those would be small potatoes compared to the very special obsession of Frederick the Wise. This great other project would grip his imagination and pocketbook for decades. And what do you think it was? Frederick the Wise collected relics. And guess what else? He displayed them one day each year in the castle church. Now on the right is a drawing of the castle church from the time of Frederick. On the left, you see the castle church as it appears today, rebuilt after centuries of war and destruction. By the time of the Reformation, the inventory of Frederick's collection listed over 17,000 relics. In those days, the Roman church measured time in purgatory in years. If a faithful Christian reverently viewed all these relics in Frederick's collection, that Catholic believer could slash their time in purgatory by nearly two million years. As Frederick's relic collection grew, it attracted hordes of pilgrims to Wittenberg when Frederick put them on display in the castle church one day each year on All Saints Day, November 1st. So remember that date. It's important. November 1st, All Saints Day. In Luther's time, the people would be coming to church on All Saints Day with indulgences on their minds, for they believed that indulgences would take care of the purging of their sin and speed them on to heavenly bliss with the faithful who have gone to glory. So let's talk now about the following day, November 2nd. November 2nd is All Souls Day on the Catholic calendar. So November 1st, All Saints Day celebrates the believers who've gone to heaven. All Souls Day remembers those believers who've died but not reached heaven. So where are they? Purgatory. 
So All Souls Day is another important day for indulgences. Of course, only Roman Catholics celebrate this day, and that's because of their belief in purgatory. So I want you to think about the timing of Luther's posting of the 95 Theses. On what day were they posted? His theses were posted on October 31st, 1517, the day before Frederick put his relics on display for All Saints Day in the Castle Church. Every thesis on that list of 95 is an attack on indulgences. Indulgences are the sole topic of Luther's 95 Theses. When the worshipers came on All Saints Day to the castle church, as they walked up to those wooden doors, they'd get plenty to think about. Not only was the message of the 95 Theses incendiary, but their posting date, October 31st, was no coincidence. The doors to which those 95 theses were attached would open the next day to a spectacular collection of relics. Now, some folks try to make the case that Luther was not trying to be provocative. He was just inviting some friendly academic and theological debate on the topic of indulgences. Okay, let's think about that. There are six churches in Wittenberg in Luther's day. But he posts the theses on this church, the castle church, the day before All Saints Day, when everybody's showing up to look at all those relics and get indulgences. If Luther sat around for a month just trying to think of ways to be provocative, He couldn't do better than this. The next thing I'm going to say is important. Here's the point in attacking indulgences. In fact, this is the point of the long history lesson you're getting today. An indulgence by its very nature denies that Christ alone has done the work of salvation. Completely. By posting his list of theses on the errors of indulgences to the church door, Luther indicts this scandal in the church, a teaching that denies the central truth of Scripture that we're sunk in sin. And our salvation is bought by the blood of Christ. More than anything else, the gospel writers want us to understand the meaning of Christ's crucifixion. When viewing a crucifixion scene, we tend to focus on the gore, the dripping blood, and piercing nails. We should also remember that Christ is fixed to the cross by love. His love for us. Sin-soaked wretches that we are. Through this act, he wins salvation for us. Nothing we do earns salvation. 
not reverent praying before relics, not a tally of indulgences. We don't track sin in some sort of eternal accounting system where we must even out the columns on the ledger somehow. We don't need to worry about balancing accounts because Christ has done it for us. This is the truth told in Scripture. This is the message of the cross. Painted by a Spanish Baroque artist, this image of Christ crucified faces us with the truth of the crucifixion. Emerging from the darkness, the beautiful and tortured body of Christ droops peacefully in death. His body hangs from the rough timber of the cross. His side has been pierced, confirming his death. The face is gray. All is still. The pain has been endured. It is finished. It's done. It's not a half-done effort which we must complete. Christ fully carries the burden of our sins for us. Christ, the light of the world, here emerges from the inky darkness which represents the world of sin. There is no fainting mother at the foot of the cross, no Roman soldiers carrying out the sentence of execution, no jeering crowds. This crucifixion has been taken out of time and locale. The truth told here is timeless. It is Christ alone who has paid the price. In the Reformation, the story of the cross, the history in Scripture, is again embraced in all its fullness and power. That's the assurance we underscore on Reformation Day and All Saints Day. And so we celebrate the truth of what Christ has done. Christ alone. And all God's people said, Amen.